its staff, or management. Thanks for listening, and enjoy Radio Free Brooklyn. This is what Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I'm in such a good mood today. I don't know why exactly. I don't know why. I feel really wound up, so I'm just going to be... I'm going full bore, okay? I hope you can tolerate it. Excuse me if I get really annoying. Um, But anyway, thanks so much for listening. You know, I'm Dr. Lisa, the self-proclaimed psychotherapist, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And um, it's exciting that you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn because it is the greatest radio station um, in um, the uh, continental USA, Europe, and all of Japan. But anyway, um, uh, you know, the thing, the thing about, um, a really nonprofit running a nonprofit, being part of a nonprofit is like we really are running on a shoelace, shoestring. And we, we are very community based. We do a lot out in the community. We are, we are a very idealistic group. And, uh, you should go to our radios, our ra- uh, go to our, you know, check out our station at radiofreebrooklyn.org. Um, and definitely check out the donate page and you can get yourself some merch. We have over 70 shows of every kind, every kind. And we have like really an amazing roster of expert hosts. So if you like this, you, 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 you can't not find anything that you can't not find something is whatever whatever i'm saying i got too like i said i i don't know why i'm so wound up uh okay we i have this um particularly special guest today uh an amazing artist who is extremely well respected and uh devoted to his practice eric doringer and i'm gonna bring him on in one second but um I'm going to push a few things that I'm doing too. How's that? Before we get Eric on. Um, but the thing, the things that I'm doing that you must come and see, come and see this. I did this really awesome installation, uh, with a sex doll that I actually got from a therapist who, uh, who it works, whose clients, um, are men that are transitioning from sex dolls to real people. So she had an extra doll and she gave it to me. And uh, right now, and um, she's, we made, the installation is an artist in her art studio who makes a living as a stripper. And uh, we have photographs of her at Pumps, which is 1089 Grand Street, the greatest um, exotic dancing bar in certainly, certainly, Five boroughs. I'm going to say five boroughs, okay? And then, uh, and she has all this artwork that she makes about how she feels about men, about her job, about the hypocrisy of being a female artist and being, you know, paying for things, shit like that, how you guys treat her, all that shit. So uh, that's at 56 Bogart Street here in. Bushwick, Brooklyn, and there's an artist talk this Saturday, four to six. Okay. And then also, most importantly, I got to get the fucking fannies in the seat. I want your fanny in my seat. I'm doing a live show called Stand Up, Lie Down 
at the city reliquary, which is uh, an incredibly small, incredible uh, museum uh, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I am going to be uh, doing some speed therapy on two comedians, Christian Finnegan, can you believe it? And also uh, Shakir Stanley, who's amazing. I've got two amazing comedians. They're going to do their sets, and then I'm going to do therapy on them. And I also have an incredible visual artist who's going to make a presentation of her work, Tara Lewis, who just did this huge project because Brooke Shields wanted her to do portraits of her and her daughter. So uh, it's going to be a great show, and that's in June, June 9th at 7 p.m., City Reliquary. Go to... uh, Go to uh, my Facebook page, my Instagram, Dr. Lisa. It'll all be on there. Okay, there I did all that. So uh, let's bring in our and let's bring in our guest, Eric Doringer. Uh, I just I've been going off, so I have to introduce him. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at him right now. We're on Zoom. Uh, he, uh, he uh, I've been to his. I've stayed at his house. I've stayed. We traded houses uh, uh, in last fall. Me and my hu- husband, him and his wife. Uh, they were in New York. We were in L.A. Their dog is smaller than ours, and our dog is four pounds. But anyway, Eric is a really. Um, I I don't even. I have so much respect for Eric and his work. And uh, it is, uh, it is like I'm going to let him explain it. It's a, he does appropriation work. He is very, very, very well known among art people. He is in all sorts of major collections. Uh, he he, and the thing about Eric, he's also a really nice, decent human being. And he's been on the show a lot, and I am so proud every time he's on the show. So I am going to turn it over to Eric. Hello, Eric. Hey, Lisa. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. We've got to get you a little bit louder. Yeah. Test yeah. One, two, one, two. Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, I can hear you, but can you get a little closer to the mic or something? Oh, I'm on this uh, headphone mic. It should be. I don't think I can get much closer. Really? Am I too quiet? I can I can try doing the uh, you know the laptop mic. Yeah, let's give it a yeah. shot. Let's give okay. it a shot. Anyway, um, so Eric is doing this really special project that involves actually launching real, real I guess miniature rockets that he's made. It's just crazy. So I'm gonna let's try it again. Say something, Eric. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, um, yeah I'm gonna of. really try turning up your thing. I yeah, think you'll. I, I think we'll be okay. We'll be okay. I don't know. Can I? Uh, we're good. We're good. I turned you up. We're good. Okay, we're good. Cool. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about what your practice is. Okay. So yeah, I I work with appropriation. Um, the project that's probably best known that I did is. Um, I used to make these little uh, what I call bootleg paintings, which were like knockoffs of all the hot art stars like Damien Hirst and John Curran and 
anyway, and, and I would go out and sell these little paintings on the street in Chelsea, like outside of the galleries selling the real paintings. <laughs> um, but, you know, mine were obviously a lot cheaper and they were small because they needed to be portable, fit in my suitcase and go around town. Um, so that's kind of what I started off doing and, and how I kind of got best known, I guess, in the art world is just because I would be out there on Saturdays mm-hmm. in Chelsea. But you really, you, you really met people like, like, um, Jerry Saltz, who's a really famous art critic is like when it, Eric actually has a genuine relationship with, um, Jerry and his wife, Roberta Smith, who writes for the Times, um, and uh, I don't think I have any. I think you're the only person I know personally that has an actual, re- re- like, really. They really admire your work personally. Yeah, that I they knew. they were supportive from really early on. I mean, I would see Jerry because he was always out visiting the galleries, and he was mm-hmm. very enthusiastic about what I was doing and and supportive. And they have bought some work for me over the years, um, which is nice. You're you're pretty modest, but you're in a lot of collections and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Tell us, Eric. Come on. Make it get everybody excited. (laughs) I don't like to name names, but yeah, I mean, there are some there are some celebrities and there are some art world people that and some museums and your books, Um, too. Your books. Books. Yeah. Yeah. Books are in MoMA. And those are in museum collections like MoMA and New York Public Library and the Met. Um, but yeah, not not so much my art yet. Okay, uh, so the, he's really legitimate, guys. You see what I'm saying? And I know him. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, so you know, I I made those little paintings and sold them on the street for ten years or so, and then I mean, I still make them. I don't sell them on the street anymore. But I kind of moved into doing larger projects that were more like in the same scale and the same materials as the original artists. Um, So, I mean, just to give your viewers an idea, like I did a show based on Andy Warhol, for example, where I redid a lot of the work that he did with products. So like the Campbell soup can paintings and the Brillo boxes and the Coke bottle paintings. Um, But I... I made my paintings like the same look and the same size and they were silk screens, so the same technique, but they were with the contemporary products. So, so you updated them. Exactly. So, so I think it was 2015 or so and it was like the plastic bottles. Know, exactly. Plastic yeah. Coke bottles and the you know, the contemporary Brillo box, which was like a brown cardboard box, not the red, white, and blue one that we're all familiar with. Um so, yeah, so, so they, that's kind you, of you kind of make them time travel. Like there's a there's sort of like a historic. It's a really interesting process. There's like to 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 see them. I mean, it's kind of like as if they come alive to you in the moment from the past, sort of. Right, right, and and for me, it's interesting too because it's you know it's sort of like Warhol was painting the Campbell soup can that you know, was on the shelf when he was, you know, in 1962 or whatever it was. And then, you know, I was painting the Campbell soup can on the shelf, you know, in, in, in my lifetime. And, uh, you know, I, how is that the same and how is that different? <laughs> yes, exactly. And I also want to mention that um, one of the things that I find so um, fascinating, I actually was saying the other day that you're almost like um, an impersonator. Like if you had a... Um, 
like a uh, like somebody who can imperson do an impersonation, and their talent is such that they have like your except with you, it's art skills. Like you, you can pick any artist in that, as far as I can see, and make like an appropriation of their work in your vision that is like extremely well done, and you you have. Um, uh, you know, done every medium. You know, you've done sculpture. You just tell us about like. I mean, we don't have to get into the specifics of every single one, but just tell us some of the mediums that you have worked with. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really been everything: a painting, sculpture, photography, video, um, silk screen. Know, silk screen. Yeah, I mean, it depends what the original work is, obviously. But um, yeah, I work across a lot of different media and. You know, I often have to learn some new kind of skill for like a new body of work mm-hmm. that I'm doing. But you're, but you seem like confident, and and as well you should be. I mean, I'm so impressed by this. Like, you seem really confident taking on any any project to make anything well, you want to make. You know, I I know my strengths and my limitations, so I choose things that I feel like I can do a good job making. You know, I'm not gonna like try to paint a da Vinci portrait. Like well, you you have you have a, a huge range of very refined skills and I just want people to know that. So, um, okay, we're we ready to discuss your current project that that I'm very excited to talk about. Yeah, so my current project is called the Eric Doringer Rocket Factory and it is um, inspired by a project by an artist named Tom Sachs, which is called the Tom Sachs Rocket Factory. Um, and I should probably talk a little bit about Tom's work just for your listeners who might not be familiar with it. Yeah, um, you might yeah, not I know. Mean, well, these are people that I imagine in their basement, in their like parent living in their parents' basement. So they better, it'll be good for them to like learn what's going on out in the world. <laughs> well, it's all available on the internet too. So. Um, <laughs> So Tom Sachs is, you know, I mean, he is a, a superstar artist, much, much more famous than I am. Well, uh, well, probably. a lot richer. He's richer. He has a staff. Tell us how many people he has like a little fact, literally like a staff. Yeah, I mean, he has a studio and I think, you know, his, the studio itself is kind of like one of his artworks, but he has, I don't know, I think at least 20 people that work for him, mm-hmm. you know, in New York City, him. right? In New York City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, uh, sort of first became famous, I guess, in the late nineties, uh, doing some kind of controversial works. He made a bunch of guns, um, sort of out of things that you could find at the hardware store and was selling them as sculptures, but they were also, you know, functioning illegal. I mean, you know, not, not (laughs) registered or serial numbered guns. Um, so that was sort of controversial. And he also early on <clears throat> did a lot of work with kind of luxury brand packaging. Like he made, um, McDonald's, uh, value meals, but out of packaging for like Burberry's and Tiffany's and Prada and, and companies like that. And he also at that time did a model of a concentration camp that was all made out of Prada, uh, you know, bags and boxes and that, that was sort of controversial and got him some known. Um, well, it's a in- very interesting concept. Yeah. And he is a Jewish, you know, artist as well. So mm. it's kind of interesting mm. you know, mm. for that reason too. 
but you know since that time his work has gotten much more elaborate and you know like we said he has this large studio that helps him mm-hmm. you know like he he recently did a project that was like these scale models of the uh world trade center that were something like you know uh, two stories tall. Wow, really? I didn't know about that. Well, he's kind of an appropriation artist as well, right? Which is really well, funny. Is, yeah, and that's sort of, I think that's something that I've become more interested in, is this sort of idea of like a meta appropriation and, you know, like a, ma- a meta. Did you say made up or meta? What did you say? I didn't hear it. Meta. Meta yeah. appropriation, because you're appropriating like something that he's appropriating and Right, right. Which is sort of like the Warhol thing, too. Right. I mean, it's like Warhol didn't, you know, he didn't license a, the soup can from Campbell's. He just, you know, painted a soup can and said this is mine. Well, yeah. I mean, Prada, you think more of as a I think soup cans seem a lot more. um What's the word? Mass produced or like less right, personal. More, but more I know what you mean. Yeah. OK. But but yeah, but but I, you know, I, I am sort of interested in you know, re remaking work that's already, you know, already appropriated from somewhere. Like I, mm-hmm. I did a series based on Richard Prince's cowboy photographs where he had made these photographs where he photographed Marlboro advertisements, but kind of cropped them so you couldn't see any of the text and they were just cowboys, but they were also very obviously, you know, Marlboro cowboys. So your, your uh, work really questions like who made this up? Right, right. Like, so I redid that project and I, you know, I found vintage copies of all the same ads that he photographed and I photographed those ads myself and printed them at the same size. And, you know, but, how, how is that the same and how is that different? Right, 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 right. Which is really funny, really. Because right. it's so kind anyway, of like, so, yeah, where, yeah, you know, who, one. who, who owns the idea? Who owns, I mean, it, it is, it is a really, you know, take some acid, guys. All right, get get yourself some acid and uh, check out Eric's work. Well, no, and, I mean and, it, and, there, it, there is a lot of levels to it, though, which is real, but funny. You know, funny and smart. That's funny and well, smart. Yeah, like who who owns Campbell's Soup, right? I mean, Campbell's the Campbell's company obviously owns the trademark, but if you see a painting of the Campbell's Soup can, you you automatically think Andy Warhol. So right, and then like. Are you allowed to reproduce it because it's art, but you couldn't reproduce it if, if you were going to sell gravy? Right. Or then, you know, <laughs> can, can, can you make a painting of it and then put that painting on a T-shirt? You know, <laughs> yeah. These are all questions. Yeah, it's great. Um, so anyway, so going back to Tom Sachs and, and his Rocket Factory and my Rocket Factory, um, he uh, opened his Rocket Factory, I think, probably about a year ago now. Um, and, uh, his is, uh, well, it's, it's a project that sort of starts with NFTs and then becomes a physical sculpture. Um, so he has a website, Tom Sachs, rocketfactory.com. Um, that's S A C H S is how you spell Sachs. Um, and on that website, I mean, it explains this project, but you can also buy these NFTs, which are rocket components. Um, so the rockets have three pieces. There's a nose cone, there's the rocket body, and there's a tail assembly. Just so people can understand what this looks like, it's kind of like when you're saying rod- rocket, it's almost like a model, like a like a model that you would buy, like like a 
a plastic. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's, it's an Estes model rocket. So for anyone that ever did model rockets, oh, kid, okay, they, it's a model rocket. Come SD. from a model yeah. rocket. So okay, so you guys can picture this. All right. Yeah. So so the, the NFTs are drawings of the three pieces of a model rocket: the nose, the body, and the tail. And um, they're all branded with different brands that are meaningful to Tom Sachs, either brands he's worked with in his art or things that he uses in his daily life. Mm -hmm. So it's things like McDonald's and Chanel and Tiffany and Budweiser and uh, Hello Kitty. So kind of really high and low brands. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. NASA is one of the brands. Um, So he, he has enough components to make a thousand rockets. And like I said, you know, there's like, you know, five NASA nose cones and, 10 McDonald's bodies and you know you can you can buy these different components as NFTs and then you once you have 3 you can burn the original NFTs and they will mint a new NFT which is a completed rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had you know a Chanel nose cone a McDonald's body and a Tiffany tail then you get an mm-hmm. NFT of a rocket with those components it's kind of like um when you go and if you want to buy like a pair of Nikes and you want like you know a green sole and a red top right and blue laces you can pick it all out right exactly or um yeah, I mean something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah you can pick it all out, or it can all be. So, so basically, you build your own rocket out of these different components, mm-hmm. and it can be what's called a perfect rocket, which is when all three of the brands match, or it can be a Franken rocket, which is when there's three uh, different brands. So, um, and it's also it's kind of like the like McDonald's Monopoly game where you would need to like save up three coupons and then you would get like free hamburger or something like that. Like, there's also you know, it's like you need to save up these parts and build your rocket and then you get the complete rocket. So so if you get, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and then uh, once you have that completed rocket NFT, there's a launch option. And what that means is basically that the studio will build a model rocket. It's about 12 inches tall and hand paint the different components to match the rocket that you design. So whatever nose cone, whatever body, whatever tail. And then they launch it uh, somewhere and uh, videotape the launch and the video gets added to the NFT and kind of the and and then the rocket gets put in a display case and given to the person who owns the NFT. So the collector winds up with basically three things. They have the NFT of the rocket, they have the video of the rocket, and they have the sculpture of the rocket. Hmm. So, so it's good, so in, I but- think What's also clever or clever, whatever smart, whatever you call it about that is that um, it 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 really spans. It really uses the NFT in a way that kind of goes back and forth between, you know, the meat world, the real world and uh, the NFT digital. It it rides that line, right? Right. It has it has both components and. In theory, at least they're inseparable. So, you know, like you, if you're the collector, you know, you, you don't want to split them up. Like the have, like the, the actual artwork is what he calls the holy trinity of those three objects. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, if this whole NFT thing goes bust in five years, you still have a sculpture and, 
if your sculpture burns up in a house fire, you still have the NFT, you know. <laughs> well, I think what's really interesting about it is that it really does um, involve the collector's participation. That's right, because they're essentially designing the rocket, and Tom doesn't know ahead of time, you know, what the what the collectors are going to build. Right, and also, like, they are getting, they are involved in getting an NFT, and they are involved in, like, what's happening out in the real world, the activity of the launch, and then also they get to own something that happened. Like, it's kind of, like, got so many different, it's yeah, a very active piece of art. It isn't like you go to a gallery, buy a painting, and hang it up. You're very involved. Yeah, and and the, the collector, the collectors are actually invited to attend the launches if they want to, and then... Sometimes he'll like videotape them launching the rocket as part of the documentation. So uh-huh. then that becomes part of the NFT. Oh, so that's then the cool. Or it's like inserted into it. So yeah, it's got, it's got a lot of levels of like involving the, you know, letting the collector play artist a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Collaboration, let's call it. <laughs> right. So anyway, so my version of this project is the Eric Doringer rocket factory. And, um, you can see it online at ericdoringerrocketfactory.com. Uh, that's E-R-I-C-D-O-E-R-I-N-G-E-R, rocketfactory.com. Um, and uh, essentially, my idea was to redo Tom's project, but on a smaller scale. So his rocket factory has enough components to make a 1,000 rockets and has uh, 24 different brands you can choose from. And I did sort of a smaller version where my factory, I'm just, I chose 12 of the brands, the one that seemed kind of the most iconic. And uh, there's basically two of each component. So that means there's enough to make 24 rockets total. Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's a, it's a smaller endeavor than, than Tom's factory. But essentially, you know, I do the same thing that his studio is doing. I get the same type of rocket i painted up in a very similar way it's the same Mm, brands mm -hmm. um but you know they're they're it's me painting them so they're a little bit different um and originally i had planned to do nfts as well and sell it you know in exactly the same Mm -hmm. manner um so again like this was something that was new for me i had never made an nft before i didn't really know anything about yeah huge undertaking all of that. Um, yeah. So I, I had a couple of guys that were helping me who were m- more knowledgeable about that space and knew about coding and things. Yeah, because that, or- I don't. I don't think the public, I mean, I'm, I was surprised when I found this out and I don't even understand it that well, but like in order to actually make an NFT, they call that minting an NFT. That's a very, that's very complex. Like you can't just like make a JPEG and post it and say that's an M- NFT. There's a big process and I think it costs money to make an NFT. You can't just, so I'm just saying, I just want you guys to know that like, it's complicated to make an NFT. Am I right about that, Eric? Well, it's not super complicated. And, you know, it's like once someone showed me how to do it, it was fairly straightforward. But, you know, you do need to, like, have a crypto wallet. And then, you know, like, my bank wouldn't let me transfer the money to the crypto account, you know. <laughs> like, there was all this. There are definitely a bunch of hoops. And it costs to money to make, to mint an NFT, right? It does. I mean, it depends where you mint it how much that is and and the site that i was using it was only a few dollars so oh okay but like tom Sachs' site does it cost a lot 
I think where he did it, it cost more like a hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, okay. But, you know, these things all, right. all fluctuate. We're all learning. We're all learning. I'm yeah. learning. Um, so anyway, so I had these guys that were helping me and kind of showed me what to do and helped me with, you know, figuring out mm-hmm. a lot of the details and stuff. Um, but then I actually went and I, I minted the first few NFTs uh, using this website called Object, O-B-J-K-T.com. Um, and, you know, I minted a few of them and, um, the next day I went to kind of look at them and, you know, I was going to mint some more and my account was blocked and, um, I kind of didn't really understand what that meant, Hmm. but, you know, eventually I reached out to, you know, customer service and, you know, I, I mean, I assumed it was a copyright issue, but I didn't know if it was like Tom Sachs or if it was one of the brands, um, you know, cause there was no, I didn't get a notice or anything. Right. It just, mm. it was locked. So I contacted customer service and they told me basically that it was a preemptive takedown, meaning like no one complained, but just they flagged it themselves and it was because it was too similar to Tom Sachs's project. And but it, but it's not because it had like a Tiffany logo. It was all about Tom Sachs's project or any of those brands, Tiffany, Budweiser. That that's what they said. I mean, I you know I didn't know because it could have been either. Mm-hmm. And what they said is that it was Tom Sachs. They were like, it's, but you know, Tom I'm, Sachs didn't complain, did he? No, he didn't complain. It was kind of just you know, it's like if you upload a video to YouTube that has like you know the music of the Beatles on it, they're going to take it down before, you know, Apple records contact them. They just have software. That, it's kind of you know, creepy how they can like figure that out. Right. Well, I was actually surprised. I mean, it sort of made me feel like there actually were humans behind this whole thing because I mean, I'm sure that there is software that yeah. flags it, but then someone has to look at it and like, be like, yeah, we're flagging this. And huh. it, it, it actually kind of surprised me that it happened so quickly. Um, Which is so interesting because as a that's something that as an appropriation artist and you are expert in it, it's something that you wouldn't have learned, you wouldn't know unless you had actually gone out and gone down that road, right? Yeah, and it's not, I mean, you know, because I when it happened, I was sort of like, you know, what, like who, what country's copyright laws do I have to comply with, you know, <laughs> because it's like, it's the internet and like these laws are different everywhere and in the U.S., we have something called fair use in copyright law, which is kind of what I rely on for much of my work. Um, and, you know, that would, in theory, allow me to do this, but not if the company that's hosting it says no. You know, hmm, that's sort So of interesting. Yeah. So anyway, you know, what they said is, first of all, I guess there's an issue in the NFT world around sort of forgery and, you know, someone can make an NFT and say like, Hey, this is a Tom Sachs NFT and mm. then you buy it and you find out it's not. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I understand that this is an actual problem that they have to deal with, you know, but um, I also think that they're just, you know, they're, they're not knowledgeable about appropriation art so much in that world. And it's, you know, it's just yeah. it's different than the art world, you know, yeah. things that would fly don't fly. Right. So anyway, so what they told me was that I needed to get permission from Tom Sachs if I wanted to, you know, do these NFTs. 
And I thought about it because, you know, I have met Tom a couple of times. He's generally been supportive. And, you know, I, I thought that he probably would give me permission if I asked, but I sort of don't generally ask for permission with things. And I wasn't really sure how I felt about, you know, doing it. Do you feel like if you ask for permission, then it becomes like it kind of taints it because it becomes more of a collaboration or? Well, there's that. There's also just like, you know, what if they do say no, then I really, you know, can't do it in good faith. Or, you know, what if they say, yeah, you can do it, but you have to do this or that or the other thing. Uh, also, you know, I, once you start putting that that it's that into your practice, then you then you're in the position of asking everyone, and exactly. it's not your practice anymore. I mean, or right. it kind of puts a whole it puts it puts an opening in your practice that um, I don't think is desirable. Yeah, exactly. Like I just want to be free to do what I do, yeah. and you know, there's that saying: it's better to ask forgiveness than permission you know that's, that's <laughs> you know i've thought I, about that a few times with. is that good or not but yeah and and i was also you know i was also worried um you know it was sort of like i felt pretty confident that i could get permission from tom but it was like well then are they going to get permission from apple and nike and chanel and tiffany and you know i didn't want to have to contact right and wade through their legal teams right and just so the listeners know um like because Tom Sachs, his work is worth minimum six figures. These luxury brands and almost any brand um, has a lot. It's a lot easier for them to say, yeah, let's work with him. And you've told me they've commissioned him. Some brands have actually commissioned him, right? Yeah. I mean, I think when Tom started out, it was all kind of done on the down low, you know, and, and he didn't ask permission. And I don't really know now, like whether he licenses. Yeah, it's just a different situation. But um, yeah, I mean, like Prada designs the uniforms for his studio now, and they did a big exhibition of his work at their foundation in Europe. Yeah. It's, and, diff- uh, it's it's easy for it's so easy for him. Look at him. He's got a big factory. He's got 20 people working for him. There's money in it. The brands love him. It's so much easier to do it his way. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. But you know, I do it my way and and that's Yeah, okay. it's more authentic. I'm saying that. Yeah, but, but Okay, well, though. it's part of it's all part of the same big uh bundle of art. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so what I decided in the end was to scrap the whole NFT component of my project because it just sort of started getting too complicated. And, you know, I, I guess I was just worried about roadblocks. You know, it's like I could have gone to another website to mint them, but then what if the same thing happens? Or, you know, what if it happens a month after I have the website up? You know, and it just, there was a lot of stuff that seemed like it could go wrong with the NFTs. Yeah, and I also, you know, as an artist, I think it's really important that people understand that, like, you're one, I think, you know, I think you do pretty well selling and making money as an artist, and I know you're, I know you have, you have a swimming pool in LA and everything, but the truth is um, that one person, no matter how successful, doing all that work by themselves um, has to choose what they're going to focus on carefully because... If you put all, if you put like five years into this, that means that, well, it'd be awful, but you wouldn't be getting, you wouldn't be developing your work. Right. Sure. It's just not worth it. Not worth yeah. it. Not worth it at all. 
Yeah. So, so anyway, I kind of pivoted and instead of NFTs um, on my website, I'm selling what I'm calling EDRFTs, uh, which stands for Eric Doringer Rocket Factory Token. Um, and they're essentially, they function the same way as the NFTs do in Tom's uh, project, but they're actually like a signed print. So it's kind of like the JPEG that you would have gotten with the NFT. You now get a piece of paper. Um, so if you buy a nose cone, you know, I will print it out and sign it and send it to you. Um, mm-hmm. and then once you have the three component EDR, EDRFTs, you send them back to me, I destroy them and I make the completed rocket EDRFT, um, which again is like a drawing of the rocket that you've designed. Um, and then there's also the launch option so you can get the, uh, sculptural rocket in the box and I will launch it and document it with a video and all that stuff. So, so I want to hear about the launch. So, I mean, this is a brand new project. You just launched it like last week, but have you, have you, um, sold it enough or sold any to do, uh, has anybody bought a launch? No one has bought a launch yet, but you know, I did, you did a test prove a concept. I did a test and, and actually, I mean, the, the whole this whole project started because I really liked Tom's project, and I sort of considered like trying to get one of the rockets that he was doing, um, but I couldn't really figure out how much I was going to have to pay for it, and like I didn't have cryptocurrency, and I never, you know, I never yeah. pulled the trigger on on getting his rocket. But then I was like, oh, you know, I could just make one, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, then I was like, oh, well, I could actually make a bunch of them. So that was sort of the starter. So I did make one for myself that also served as the as the test rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that the Cathay Che one? That's that's the Cathay Che one named. That's Eric's my, wife, guys. My wife and Muse. Um, <laughs> and Muse. Chanel rocket. Her her initials are CC, which is of course the Chanel logo. Right. Um, so that one's mine, but that's the one that has been launched. So if you go on the website and you click on rockets, you can see the edrft of that and the video of it launching and a photo of it and you know that's that's what you'll be getting if you uh yourself invest what in did rocket. you like what was that like like how did you how did you figure out that part and was it influenced by what sax did or how did you figure that out i mean launching rockets that's crazy can you get arrested what what happened there well, um, I did. Uh, I had a little bit of experience launching rockets as a kid. Uh, there, was <laughs> year, there was one year in summer camp that there was like an elective to do rocketry. So we built oh. rockets and, and launched them. Oh. So, you know, I had done it before. I knew the basic principle and the, you know, the parts that you needed. And I essentially, you know, looked through the model rockets that were available until I found the one that matched you know, the ones that Tom was using and, um, you know, then it's just a kit. So it's, it's, you know, if you're an artist, it's not that hard of a thing to build. No, it's not that hard or, or like, well, I guess kids do it. So, so it comes with all the, you didn't have to, um, figure out how to like get a rocket launched. Not really, but you know, then the, the actual, what they call the engine, which is sort of like a, it's almost like a firework, you know, it's a, a pyrotechnic device. Um, those you have to buy separately because, you know, they have to ship them in some explosive safe oh. manner. Um, and you know, that is, um, 
you know, that's what makes it go. And that's kind of the fun part. It's starting <laughs> to sound is, dangerous. You could it, put it an is eye a out. Bit like, setting off, like setting off fireworks, you know, it's, I mean, uh-huh. you do it electronically rather than with a uh, uh, lit fuse, but it's, it's the same principle. It's, it's, you know, gunpowder. So what was that like? So you, what did you do? You drove it to a desert or something, right? I yeah, saw, well, I saw an image of it. It's kind of funny. Um, so, you know, when I was a kid, you could kind of just go like to a parking lot or a football field or something like that to do it. Um, it turns out that California has pretty much the strictest laws in the country about model rocketry. Thank God. Um, so, I mean, obviously we have fire issues here, mm. um, but you basically have to like get the permission of the fire marshal in writing in advance and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So. Right. Um, when I did the test launch, I actually just drove out to the desert and, you know, found a spot where there was no one around and no power lines. And, um, how far was that? Was it really far far. or like, uh, well, you know, uh, we tied it into a larger trip. So we went out (laughs) to, uh, desert hot springs for a weekend. Sounds great. While while we were out there, we launched the rocket. So it it was a couple hours away. Was it but, fun? Was it hard to do? Like, how did it, how did it go? Oh, it's totally fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's. it's yeah, it must be. Getting off a rocket, you know, what's, what, what, what's what? not fun about that? Did you, <laughs> did you do it manually? Yeah, well, it's, the, you have kind of like a, a electronic device. So there's, you know, you essentially push a button. It's kind of like the, the, the nuclear bomb. It's like a. You have to hold in one switch and then you push a button. Ooh, it sounds cool. Yeah, how so you high. how hot like did it like did it wh- what happened when it went off? Like what was that like? Like did it go really high or far or did you get it back? What happened there? Uh it went pretty high. You know, they they have a um a parachute which is supposed to deploy and help them fall safely to earth and mine uh the parachute popped out of the rocket, but it didn't really fully open. Mm. So it it had a bit of a hard landing, but, you know, it was fine. It, it was the desert. Yeah. So it just fell in some sand. Um, mm-hmm. How far yeah, away? Was, Did you see it fall? Did you have trouble finding it? Uh, there was no trouble finding it. It was a bit windy that day, but, um, you know, it probably uh, was maybe 20 yards away from where we oh. launched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't too bad. That sounds fun. Yeah. And then, and then uh, I actually went to one of Tom's rocket launches. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Sachs, the the artist who, yeah, yeah. So he he's basically been doing launches all across the country, and I think a couple international ones because he's got a thousand rockets to launch. Um, so he did one um, that was sort of out near Joshua Tree, um, uh-huh. about two and a half hours outside of LA. And I drove out there for that. Um, and it actually was interesting because where he did it is kind of like the closest like model rocket spot to Los Angeles, which is a dry lake bed. So there's no, there's nothing growing there. It's just sand and it's owned by the Federal Bureau of Land Management. So you don't need the fire marshal's permission because it's federal land instead of state land. Mm. So he's got that down too. Yeah, yeah. So that's so that's where Tom did. He launched, I think, 150 rockets the day that I went. Oh my god, I didn't realize that. He so he wow. Oh my god, what was that like? Did they go off one after another after another, or like how did it work out? 
How many yeah, people? Had, that must have been they insane. Had, they had, I think they had like four launching stations set up and, you know, his team would like prepare them and he would kind of go down the line launching them. Um, and, you know, a few, there were uh, probably about 10 uh, collectors that owned them that showed up to like launch their mm-hmm. own rocket. Um, um, you know, I was, I was there for a couple hours, but I think Tom was probably there for the full day, you know, mm-hmm. like eight hours or 10 hours. It's 10 an hour, if you're lucky. Yeah, Yeah, wow. So that must have been really funny. So you saw like, I'm picturing like men in suits, like very, you know, uppity guys launching toy rockets. Uh, yeah, they had they did have a uniform, not not jackets, oh. but like pants, pants and a white shirt and a tie. So you had to wear a uniform, or they had to wear a uh, uniform. Just just the studio, the staff. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, um, but it it was uh, pretty co-ed. There were quite a few uh, chick launchers. Quite a few uh, ladies. Um, actually, I don't think. Tom basically did all of the launching, like the pushing of the launch button, right. except for the collectors who got to launch their own. Um, so the staff was not actually launching. They were right. like right. setting everything up. Sure, sure. And um, so you know you know Tom. You've known him for – tell me about like seeing Tom – you saw Tom. And how long have you Tom known him? There, and I, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've met him a few times uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, he's always been – cool to me and he i think he owns a piece of mine um so i was pretty sure that he would be cool about this project he also he had like liked some posts on instagram that i had done about it and yeah i saw him out there and i was like hey i'm eric i'm the guy from the other rocket factory and he <laughs> gave me a hug and he's like oh yeah i love what you're doing so oh, it's great yeah, it, was, it was totally cool that's great that's great you know guys a lot of uh, artists if eric caught you know appropriates your work it's a huge compliment i mean he really he really uh it means you've made it a lot of artists do a lot of big artists actually feel that way i know that for sure so it's kind of a he takes it as a compliment i'm guessing he does he does but you know i mean it's not something i can take for granted and i have had artists that have threatened to sue me and you know so it's yeah do you want to tell us about one of those i don't really want to get into there's a Do famous you know? artist, though. I think I know one, and I'm not going to yeah. say. But I mean, there is they're, you know, people that don't need the money that are just kind of vindictive. <laughs> I don't understand why somebody would sue you because these guys are also. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, I get. I think in the case of these artists, they feel like I'm, you know, I'm stealing their work, which I can understand how someone would feel that way. I mean, it's disappointing to me, and it's frustrating, and. It's disappointing to me. Like, don't artists under... If you're making art and you're selling your art for that much money, you should understand, like, the value of... Um, or the importance or the 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 the, the necessity... Like, it adds a, a very important part to the dialogue of art, art appropriation. And there are a lot of... It's a... It's, a, it's an area of art that um, has been around forever, right? There's a lot of famous yeah. pro- appropriation artists. Well, I mean, you know, there's certainly a lot of famous appropriation artists. I mean, I think appropriation art as a named thing is kind of a phenomenon of, you know, since the 80s. But, yeah. you know, what does it mean to appropriate? I mean, in a sense, if you're painting a landscape, aren't you appropriating the landscape? Like it's Right. Like and art, that's art, what's art so great. Yeah. But that's what's so great about the whole idea of it. 
conceptually, it's a fascinating idea because it just begs the question of what's what what did you originate and what does it mean to originate something and if you originate right. something what's your ownership over it and this is not just this could be you could use the same questions about chicken soup recipes that's true and actually re- recipes are quite contentious in copyright law because oh, you, yeah? you, you cannot copyright a chicken soup recipe oh. so you, can, you write a cookbook that. and you tell a little story about chicken soup and you draw a chicken you can copyright all that stuff but you can't actually copyright the recipe i didn't know that you know quite a bit about this copyright stuff don't you i do but you know the frustrating thing is it almost doesn't i mean it matters that i know it but um when it comes down to it in my own personal experience, you know, um, you, you can't fight a millionaire, you know? It's like, yeah, like, true. I can, true. I, I can say, oh yeah, there's this fair use thing and, 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 you know, it's totally legal what I'm doing and I'm transforming your thing. But, you know, if you stick your lawyers on me, there's not a whole lot I can do. Right, 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 right. So um, have you ever had anybody, like any well-known artist, go like, when are you going to appropriate my work? I mean, you're pretty well-known. Do you th- Have you ever had anything like that? I, I have. I mean, usually it's not the well-known artists. Like when I was selling these little bootleg paintings out in Chelsea, all the time someone would be like, oh, you should paint my painting. You know? <laughs> but they, they were rarely anyone that you've heard of. <laughs> yeah, because usually the paintings that you were selling um, were recognizable. Yeah, I, people... I did actually hear a story, though, about an artist who was upset that I hadn't copied their work. Really? Somebody successful? Yeah, like, like aren't I as famous as this other person? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is a, uh, um, like, um, Rich, Richard Prince knows that you've copied his work, right? Yeah. Have you had contact with him? I've never <clears throat> had any direct contact with him. No, like I've, I've, you know, I know some people that work with him or for him and stuff like that, but I've never actually had a conversation with Richard. Um, he does own some of my work. Yeah, <laughs> he did. So uh, he bought your work. That's more. Well, he didn't. I think someone gave it to him. I don't think he actually uh, bought it. But um, well, you're really, you know, see, that's what I was telling you guys. Eric's the real deal. Like he could have just said yes, but instead he told you the truth. No, someone gave it to him. <laughs> How are you going to? We're promoting your work, Eric. <laughs> no, just oh, yeah. Richard. Richard's been a collector for ages. He's yeah. Hundreds yeah. Of, hundreds of pieces. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so ha- so like um I think one of the things, and if uh, listeners are interested, they can go back and uh, look through the archives. I'll post the, post them when I post this episode. But we've talked about your processes before, particularly about something like the Ankawara one, where it was really uh, where you appropriated the work. It really took over your life. I mean, it's so interesting because there's a real there's a. I don't think people understand the level of really its performance in that you are literally doing the doing the process that they are doing and it takes whatever it takes like if you have to learn something you learn it if you have to travel somewhere you'll travel there so um what was the experience like what like tell tell us a little bit about the experience that you um had learned yeah um, I, i think i think you know one of the things that really 
interested me and got me excited about the rocket factory is the fact that like this is this is a project that the original artist tom Sachs is like doing right now you know like like he's still building rockets you could still buy one and launch it you know if you wanted to and you know i mean typically when i make art it's like something that was made you know at least 20 years ago but um Mm -hmm. this was sort of like oh this is happening now and like i can you know i can go to a launch i can launch my own rocket at the same time that he's launching a rocket so you know there was kind of something about that that was really exciting like the fact that like this is a new it's a new project for the both of us and like neither one of us really knows how it's going to unfold and wow and again i mean thinking about copyright it's like you know like Tom doesn't know how people are going to combine the components and make his rocket. Oh, wow. And, you know, someone might make one with a Chanel nose and McDonald's body, or they might not, you know, and same thing with me. Like my rocket might be a complete copy of one of his rockets, or it might be a rocket that never got built. You know? Oh, that is really cool. Factory. So they're evolving in real time because the process is so interactive with the um, collector, which is really right, fascinating. Right. Part of it that's kind of out of the artist's right. And, and like, who knows? And the story's being written as we speak. Right. And, and if we talked about copyright infringement with these, you know, is it like, it's infringing on his copyright if he's made the same rocket and it's not if he hasn't. <laughs> like, yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, what, what, what if I make the one with the McDonald's nose first? Then is he like infringing my copyright? <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's fascinating. So you do you feel like as far as getting the project, you know, the website and the, the factory up, Are you do you feel completed about that aspect of it? Yeah, the factory is up and running. You know, now we just need to start, start, start manufacturing some, start selling some rocket parts. Right, and that's why we're. No, I mean, that's, I got the first. Here, I got so. the first interview with you, Eric. I got the first interview. That's no, right. I'm that's really right. excited to see what happens with this. With this, this is a journey. We'll have to. Uh, so, you, like right now, it's a big open question mark as to how your project and his project are evolving. Right. That's right. They're both they're both still in progress. So we'll, when did his we'll go see. live? Um, I think it was about a year ago now. Mm-hmm. So he's had a head had a head start. So he's got yeah he had a head. He start, sold you know, a few. It was also sort of funny about like you know trying to find like images of the rock. You know, like I mean, I, I had to really play detective because there aren't a lot of like pictures of these things out there other than. Uh. When he does a launch, there's pictures of them or, you know, like mm-hmm. I actually on on Tom's website, there's a store where he sells like books and T-shirts and stuff. And they did um, they released a new set of T-shirts and they had all these photos of like his studio staff wearing them as the models. And they had like the rocket factory stuff in the background. I was like, oh, there's all <laughs> the red that he's using for that one. Or, like, you know, oh, that's like, so funny. So does he start with models, you know, men, uh, factory models? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Fact, I mean, toy it's, factory it's, models. Yeah. Toy rocket factory. Estes rocket. You can buy a bulk pack of, I think, 12 of them or 20 mm-hmm. of them or something like this that. This has got to be really profitable. How much does 12 cost? Uh, like 100 bucks For 12 And what is Tom selling them for? 
Well, I, I don't exactly know. I mean, they're, you know, it's all it's cryptocurrency art. and stuff, uh, so it fluctuates. Is it? But, oh, well, right. To, yeah, because they're... To buy an NFT, you need right. crypto, yeah. But, right. but Tiffany, Tiffany bought a Tiffany rocket from him. The Tiffany company bought one, and they apparently spent $380,000. Holy fucking shit. Doesn't that seem crazy? And the rocket, if you went into, like, even just bought one in a store, would be worth, well, you'd pay, like, what? like 15 or 20 dollars but you know then you'd have to build it and paint it so that's, that's <laughs> so then that you, you you could probably hire you know you could probably hire a detailer like a car detailer for a lot less you could hire me <laughs> i can hire you well yeah do you do yeah. should we you, you should we talk about pricing i don't know i don't know i don't think people understand like art and stuff but what yeah, is people, it on your website the website you, you you can buy everything straight from the website mm-hmm. you just need dollars or paypal you know, yeah and it's nothing prefer. like 700 it's nothing like hundreds it's 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 a piece of art but it's an affordable piece of art let's call it that that's right. You can, I mean, you can get out the door for, for under $3,000. Yeah. I mean, anybody that's spending money on art is clearly got a refrigerator full of food and clean clothes. So, you know, it's not – art is not uh, a survive – a thing you need to survive. But, um, yeah, let's – let's. Uh, we got uh, two minutes left. Let's uh, make sure that we re- we get all the info out say it again say it again what's the website what's your website do all the details that we got to so get out i'm i'm eric doringer my website is ericdoringer.com and that's spelled e-r-i-c-d-o-e-r-i-n-g-e-r.com and then the rocket factory is eric doringer rocketfactory.com mm-hmm. and if you find me on instagram there's a link in my bio or and it's eric doringer on instagram right Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, anything else? Or I'll, I'll just tell them about the station. Tell them about the station. Tell them about your stuff. Oh. Remind them to go see you. Oh, come on, guys. If you have nothing to do this weekend, on Saturday, you can go to 56 Bogart Street and see uh, my installation called What Do You, well, what do you Think of My Work? Uh, starring a sex doll, Sky Cleary, Cleary who is also a stripper. Um, you know, you know, Lisa. I, I, you know, I heard your promo about that. You know, at the top of the show, and I, I love that it's this used sex doll from a therapist. Like, how how many dudes do you think she's been with? I think she's monogamous. I think she was monogamous. But you know, it's interesting. A bunch of men have uh, commented on that. I think it makes men much more uncomfortable than women. The idea that the dollar... We're we're all ashamed that we have one in our closet. Yeah, right? I don't know. Men are somehow like... I think men look at it as a sexual... like, 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 ew, I could touch that. Whereas like to me, it's just... It, 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 it's, you know, it's, it doesn't have huge tits or anything. It's very modest. So don't, don't right. worry about it. But, uh, yeah, but, but it's experience. It's not a virgin. That's right. That's right. So anyway, thank you for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I'm here every week. I've got, uh, archives.